Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. You're living a life of grace, a life of true freedom. To be truly free is to fulfill God's purposes for you. And the only way to be truly free is to live this life of grace. Remember that Christ not only died for your sins, He has conquered sin, He's conquered the devil, He's bruised them under His feet, and He gives us a victorious life of grace. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe, Senior Pastor of Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Some people think that the Christian life is full of rules and restrictions, but it's a life without Christ that's bondage to sin and darkness. Today, we're learning that we experience true freedom when we experience the grace of God and live a life of grace. Here's Pastor John Monroe with today's lesson titled, The Life of Grace. We've all met people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and yet their life seems very similar to unbelievers. If grace is so amazing, surely it must make a difference in how we live. That's our subject today as we continue the series on why grace is so amazing. Those who have truly been saved by God's amazing grace will live a life of grace. This is not a perfect life, as once we're saved, our flesh, our sinful nature still remains. So there is always a tension between the spirit and the flesh, as Paul describes in Galatians 5. But we will learn that followers of Christ have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. So let's now consider the subject of the life of grace. The English cuckoo never builds her own nest and lays her egg in another nest when the mother bird is away. So when Mrs. Thrush has already laid her four little eggs and she's away uh, for a few moments, Mrs. Cuckoo comes and lays a large egg in the thrush nest. Uh, Mrs. Thrush is not very good at mathematics and doesn't notice when she comes back that there is an extra egg in her nest. Eventually, the four little thrush eggs and the large cuckoo egg hatch. And when Mrs. Thrush leaves the nest to get a worm to feed uh, these four little mouths and one rather large mouth, when she comes back, guess who gets the worm? The big mouth, the cuckoo bird. And the cuckoo bird grows so rapidly that eventually she throws out of the nest the four little thrush birds and takes over. And now Mother Thrush keeps feeding this rapidly growing cuckoo bird. And the appetite of the cuckoo bird is insatiable, and she grows, and she grows. When we're saved by the grace of God and start to live a life of grace, we soon discover, don't we, that there is a strong opposition. Sin, like the cuckoo bird, has an insatiable appetite. It is very, very demanding, and it tries to take over our life. Have you noticed that? How do you get victory over this sin which is so demanding? over this appetite of sin which seems to be so insatiable. It is by grace. It is by living the life of grace. We continue our study 
on this wonderful subject, grace, which is really amazing, and our subject is the life of grace. Now, this is a very, very important lesson, and I encourage you to concentrate. It may not be the easiest, but we're going to look at one of the great chapters of the New Testament, which is central and which we must understand if we're going to live a life of grace. I invite you to open your Bibles, first of all, to Romans chapter 5. Here is how to live a victorious life of grace. First of all, we must remind ourselves of something that Paul neatly summarizes at the end of Romans chapter 5. We've dealt in this series with salvation by grace, by the plan of grace, by grace by faith alone, through, through Christ alone. Uh, we've thought of the security of grace and the assurance of grace, and now we're thinking of the life of grace. Paul says here, Romans 5 Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is making this important point that grace, that is God's grace, is always greater than our sin. He says, when the law came, sin increased, verse 20. Now, before the law, there was still sin. He's explained that in verse 13 of chapter 5. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. There was still sin, obviously, before the law, but with the coming of the law, Paul is saying, transgression increased. The law now reveals sin to be sin. For example, before the law people stole. But now that there is a law against stealing, thou shalt not steal, stealing is now a transgression. It is a deliberate act of disobedience. When we know the law, you shall not steal, and we steal. And in that way, sin increased. In fact, the law, the very presence of the law was an encouragement to sin. When we're told not to do something, there is something within us which says, I'm going to do that. Who are you to tell me not to do that? We put up a sign, wet paint, do not touch. And you walk by and you have never touched that door or window before, but there is something within you which wants to reach out and touch it. That's what the law does. But says Paul here in Romans 5 verse 20, in God's grace, wherever there is sin, God's grace surpasses that sin. With the increase, he says, grace, with the increase of sin, grace abounded all the more. That God's grace surpasses the greatest of sin and the greatest of sinners. After all, grace would not be grace if it were withheld where there is sin. Because grace by definition is undeserved. It is given to the sinner. And the more sin there is, the more grace abounds. The greater the, gra the sin, the greater the display of the grace of God. Now this truth that where sin increase, increases, grace abounds all the more, raises a common and a very serious objection. An, an invariable objection when we emphasize the grace of God 
and particularly the eternal security of the believer. The objection goes something like this. If this is true what you're saying, then I can live as I like. I can enjoy the sin of the world and then obtain God's forgiveness and be eternally secure. I mean, if grace is really greater than sin, let me sin as much as I can because then there's even more grace. The more sin, the more grace. And Romans 6, the passage we're going to deal with, handles this objection that grace encourages sin. And Paul is going to say very forcibly in this wonderful chapter, Romans 6, that it is inconceivable that those who are truly saved by grace would argue in this way. And the fact is that those of us who are truly saved by the grace of God want to please our Lord Jesus Christ. That is that God's grace not only saves us, God's grace not only forgives our sins, God's grace transforms us, it changes us, and it motivates us to live a holy, godly life. Grace, that is, not only justifies, it sanctifies. Now let's look at Romans chapter 6 and deal with the first 14 verses where Paul, I think, presents three steps to living a life of grace. First of all, in the first six verses, Paul wants us to know something, that grace unites us with Christ in His death and resurrection. Here is something, Christian friend, that you must know, that grace unites us with Christ in His death in his burial and his resurrection. Romans 6 now, verse 1. What shall we say then to this argument that if there's a lot of sin, there's more grace, so let's sin? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self, our old man, was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Grace unites us. Here is something you must know, that grace unites you with Jesus Christ in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. Now, this concept of our union with Christ may not be the easiest for us to understand, but I, I want you to concentrate and try and understand this important truth which will revolutionize what you think of yourself and how you live in this life of grace. Union with Christ is so important. Through salvation by grace, Paul is saying, believers are united with Christ in His death in His burial, and in His resurrection. He says that in verses 3 and 4, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That is, when Christ died, I died with him. When Christ was buried, I was buried with him. When Christ was raised from the dead, I was raised with him. Now I am to live, verse 4, in newness of life, in a new quality of life. I'm totally different now. Once I lived in a certain way in sin, now I'm living a life of grace because I am united with my Lord Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And water baptism pictures and beautifully symbolizes the believer's union with Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial and resurrection. Here is the candidate for baptism. They come and they stand in the baptismal water, a symbol of their death with Christ. And now they are immersed. They're put right under the water, symbolizing their burial with Christ. But now they are raised up out of the water, symbolizing that they are raised with Christ, symbolizing, in fact, that there has been a burial. Someone has been buried, the old man, the same, the old way of living. And now there is a new life, a new orientation. They are now to walk in newness of life. We are now in Christ. We're now united to Christ. We now belong to Christ. There is a fundamental change in our identity. And it is essential, Christian friend, that you know your spiritual identity. You are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And it is therefore inconceivable to Paul, and I trust to you, that you're going to live as you once did. Verse 2, how can we who die to sin still live in it? That's like a married man wanting to live as a single man. And we would say, what are you thinking about? You are now married. You have a new identity. How can you go back and live as if you're single? The great Augustine, after he was converted, one of his lovers came to him and said, Augustine, it is I. Yes, replied Augustine, but it is no longer I. It is no longer Augustine. You see, grace produces a radical change of our identity. And through our union with Christ, as we are now united with Christ, we participate in his holiness. You see, salvation, and we've been emphasizing this, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Being a Christian is not just believing about Christ or trying to imitate Christ, or trying to follow his teaching. Being a Christian is a vital, dynamic, growing, living relationship with the living Christ who died for our sins, was buried, and who rose again, and who is alive. Grasp this. Not only does Christ forgive our sins, that is stupendous, but we are eternally united with him. I am his and he is mine. I am in Christ and he is in me. So faith in the New Testament is not just faith about Christ, but it is faith into Christ. We believe into Christ. 
we are united with Christ. Christ died for me, that's my justification. I died with Christ, that's my sanctification. That's the basis of my holy life in this life of grace. So Paul says in verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Isn't that magnificent? This means that all I need to live a victorious life of grace, this victory over sin is found in Christ and I am united to him. All of the strength, all of the wisdom, all of the power, all of the grace, all of the holiness, all of the resources I need are found in Jesus Christ. I am united with Christ and I am united with him forever. Now supposing when I married my wife Goodney, she was penniless and I was wealthy. Once we are married, I don't know how it was in your marriage, but in our marriage, once we were married, we were united, one flesh. That is, everything that I had was now goodness. Everything that she had, and that wasn't very much, but everything that she had was now mine. After our marriage, our bank book was now in our joint names. All of my resources were now at the disposal of my wife. She could draw on them, and she's done that. Now we're both poor, but that's another story. <laughs> and my brother and my sister, we draw on the resources of Jesus Christ, which are deposited, as it were, in our name, in our bank. He is the vine. We are the branches. And this is our new identity in the life of grace. Know this, Paul is saying, you are no longer who you once were. Grace is not only greater than our sin, grace unites us with Christ in his death, his burial, and resurrection. First, something to know. Secondly, something to consider, verses 7 through 11 of Romans 6. Something to consider. Grace considers us. Now, dead to sin and alive to God. Have you got that? Grace considers us now dead to sin and alive to God. Verse 7, follow the argument. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, and we have, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Isn't that true? For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves. Something to consider. You must also Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Grace considers us now dead to sin and alive to God. 
This is the second step. It is something to consider, something to reckon, something to count. Originally, this word consider was used in bookkeeping. It's a term used to record and consider something as true, which is in fact true. Christ's resurrection, among other things, demonstrated his victory over sin. Isn't that right? Don't you believe that? We were singing, he's alive. Why do we get so excited about that? Many reasons. He's a living Christ. His victory in resurrection demonstrates he is victorious over sin. Now, here's the point. Now that you and I, in God's grace, are united with Christ in his resurrection, we also have this victory over sin. Consider this as true. Believe this. You and I, saved by God's grace, are on the victory side. You see, Christ not only died for our sins, but he died to sin. Verse 10, notice it. For the death he died, he died to sin. You say, what does that mean? Most of us are quite familiar, I think, with the concept of Christ dying for our sins. That is, he was our substitute on the cross. We believe in the substitutionary atonement that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was my substitute. As the great hymn says, in my place, condemned he stood. He took my place. He is my substitute. He's my representative. This is what it means that Christ died for our sins. But Christ not only died for sin, Paul is saying here, verse 10, he died to sin. Christ died for sin. That's freedom from sin's guilt. Christ died to sin. That's freedom from the power of sin in my life. That is, Christ died to sin in the sense that he conquered sin and he's victorious over sin. Now, here is the point that God wants us to understand and to consider is true this morning. Because Christ died to sin, and because you are united with Christ, you too have died to sin. You too can have the victory over sin. Consider this and believe it. That is, my union with Christ results in being set free from the power of sin and made alive to God. That's Pastor John Monroe, and you're listening to The Verdict. Today, we began the final message in our series all about grace and why it's so amazing. We'll conclude with part two on tomorrow's program. But before then, we encourage you to visit our website at theverdict.org. There you can explore some of John's previous series and check out all of our biblical study resources, like this month's featured resource. It's a custom booklet that ties in with the themes and lessons of our study on grace. It's titled, Eternal Security, Finding Certainty in a Chaotic World. It's a great booklet to read for yourself or share with someone else. Download or request a mailed copy of this special resource when you visit our website at theverdict.org. There you can also sign up for John's monthly email and receive exclusive updates and invites to everything here at The Verdict. And as we enter this special season of giving, we encourage you to help us give the gift of God's Word to other listeners by supporting The Verdict with a donation of any size. 
Through your generous giving, we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ in your community and across the world. Please make a generous donation today by visiting theverdict.org. You can also give over the phone by calling us at 833-551-2231 or send a check through the mail. Just address your envelope to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? If you say you've been saved by grace, is this grace, this salvation, making a difference in your life? I'm not asking about what you say, but how you live. I realize none of us is perfect, but salvation is a radical change within us which should then be apparent to those around us and the fruit of the Spirit should be displayed in our lives. I realize we've dealt with some deep truths today. I encourage you to read and reread Romans chapter 6. Live a life of grace. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.